Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week that was in paradise, as well as the wider NRL and the international scene, are my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, absolute blast to have you on as always. How you both been faring since we last convened for the last podcast? Well, mate, since we last convened, we've had a presentation night that we attended this week for the uh, Parramatta Junior Rugby League. So uh, that was a good evening, being able to, first of all, catch up with yourself, a number of people within the Eels Club, uh, some of the junior clubs that we've had a bit of work to do with in our Parramatta stories, and uh, also some legends that we've <laughs> interviewed over the years. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great night, actually. It was a really, really good night over at the Marconi Club. And, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, mate. You, you enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. It was a, a wonderful night. Uh, as you mentioned, we got to have a chance to say hello to a lot of the people that we've built fantastic relationship, relationships sorry, with in the junior district. Uh, and in the case of the former legends, players that we've had a chance to interview with uh, fortunately great regularity in the post-game and pre-game uh, stuff that we do at Paraleagues. And, geez, they're just wonderful characters. You can see why they're so popular. Uh, it's a shame that not everyone gets to see the the anecdotes that they share because uh, the I know you can use terms like synergy and whatnot, but just the camaraderie between these guys and the way they can just give each other a good natured ribbing in front of hundreds of people and share these incredible stories is it's so natural, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is, and we'll we'll be having a bit of a chat about that as we launch into our Eels news. Uh, Clint, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, gents. I'm coming off a week uh, or weekend, rather, uh, after best man duties. One of uh, my best mates got married this weekend. Congratulations to Oren and Anne. Uh, wonderful occasion. But, um, you know, uh, uh, come back to reality now. And um, <laughs> thankfully, the, um, the uh, rugby league weekend has a little bit in store for us. So got something to look forward to there, too. Yes, indeed. And before we get into the week that was and what lies ahead as well, as always, a quick shout-out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellon, and Parramatta, helping us produce and pump out the tip sheet for each episode. All right, boys, let's stop wasting time and get right into it. News team, assemble! And another week in Parramatta news of stuff that we mostly sort of knew and just being confirmed. Uh, we'll start off with a departure from our club. Andrew Davey confirming his medical retirement boys on the back of a number of concussions he sustained in season 2023, making the sensible choice given what we now know and what we're still learning about head trauma in physical contact sports. Uh, you know, real shame to see Andy have his career wound up early, uh, but he still carved out a pretty nice little career for the Parramatta Reels and the Manly Warringah Seagulls. Yeah, I liked his comments that he uh, that he was quoted as saying on the uh, Eels website and on the obviously the the press release, which was basically 
he got to live out an NRL dream. Mm-hmm. He, people didn't expect him to play one game. Well, he, he, he got down to Parramatta. He um, eventually, after a period of time, um, made his first grade debut, um, got more uh, more games then with uh, Manly, back to Para, a few more games this year. What did he get, 44 games? 44 games, games like yeah. 44 games. Not, not an insignificant career. For Parramatta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what was he, 28 when he made his debut, his yeah. first grade debut, something like that. Uh, we were privileged to be able to speak to Andy a number of times at training when he first came down. And, I mean, he was a real uh, knockabout uh, bush bloke um, from Queensland, a tradie. Uh, I think a bit of his carpentry skill was, was put to use around the old para house as well, a couple of little repairs and, and what have you. Um, when he when he first arrived, um, yeah, like you you put you couldn't have really met a more down to earth bloke. And uh, you, I can also imagine it would have been uh, plenty of laughs in the uh, accommodation that he shared with Sean Lane. They're both very very dry humour sort of fellas, and uh, really did become. Uh, great mates uh, sharing the place together and um, yeah it's look it's it's probably a case of if if this was early in his career these concussions maybe he might have made a different call but given his age the fact that he was closer to the end than the start of his career far closer to the end um why risk it for one more year and maybe a handful of appearances in first grade? Um, you know, he's got the rest of his life to look forward to. Um, he's He's got the, that trade background. He's now got a professional rugby league background behind him as well. Who knows what direction he'll go in, but I'm sure whatever it is, Andy's the sort of bloke that will make a success of it. Quint, any uh, insight on how Andy wrapped up his career as an eel? Uh, look, you know, it's it's unfortunate circumstances, but I think I think it's the best decision for him, um, much for the reasons that uh, Craig has already touched on there. Um, you know, I was um, I, I I was pleasantly surprised initially when Andy rejoined us this year, but you know, I I thought some of his earlier appearances um, uh, before I think he got his first or maybe second concussion. Um, we're actually pretty strong, you know. He he finished the year with a, with a touch under ninety four percent tackle efficiency, which is um, which is no mean feat. That's 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 pretty pretty damn solid for someone defending on the edge, and um and it was great to see him get a get a couple of tries too. I think um that that try he scored against the Dolphins in particular, a lovely um a lovely unders line running back against the grain, you know um so you know he get he gets to go with um a, a couple of of good memories there and um. You know, we wish him all the best for the future. Yeah, I think that's probably the big thing, isn't it? You know, he uh, didn't have a, a long time in the NRL, but still made an impression, and, you know, he's making the right move. Uh, as we said, mm. boys, knowing what we know and are still learning about concussions and uh, everything that has to do with head trauma, uh, cashing out your chips while you're still ahead, uh, you know, given what we saw of Boyd Cordner. We didn't talk about it in the podcast, but Cordner has been in the media talking about how he's still feeling the symptoms of concussion even years after he's retired and he 
He didn't get out early because he had a lot of concussions, but he got out early relative to an NRL career. He was a 27, 28 when he uh, got out. So, you know, could have played another five, six, seven years even uh, without concussion. So, yeah, well done to Davey for making the sensible decision. Uh, you know, and he's not the first eel in recent times to do it. Before him, Keegan Hipgrave uh, made a similar decision going back a couple of years. So, you know, putting your your long-term well-being ahead of a football career is something that I can never fault. And, you know, especially when you're talking about not just physical health, but mental health too, because uh, the damage that concussions do, and you're talking about essentially early onset dementia uh, with what it can do to your mm. brain. So, uh, you know, well done to Davey for making a, a sensible call there. Um, and we wish him the best in his future endeavours uh, as he moves on past the playing career. Absolutely. Now, the other piece of news that we knew was uh, either official or semi-official and was made official uh, was that of Morgan Harper. Uh, has been a bit of a polarising pickup for the Parramatta Reels and it was made that much more confusing when uh, the announcement detailed a two-year deal, uh, which was, was amended to one year, I think, or it was re- mixed reports and I think it's now been confirmed as a one-year deal because uh, a two-year deal would imply a potential top 30 deal from day one maybe. So Harper joins the Eels for the next 12 months. Uh, we believe it's on a training trial capacity initially, uh, but uh, he will provide depth to the back line. Uh, but not not the front line signing we've been looking for, boys, uh, but it's a warm body in the back line. Yeah, I'm not so sure that it's training and trial now. I think that's that pretty much you think it locking him in. Locks him in the top 30? Yeah. Okay, well. yeah, yeah, I think that. I think it does. I mean, I think I think it was a case of, you know, there was a bit of mixed reporting, mixed news going around when uh, the when reports were first coming out about Parramatta being in talks with him, and the you know the mail floating around was that it was going to be train and trial, um, and you know in much the same way when uh, he's he's officially confirmed, we had the official announcement saying one year, but then. Um, media reports um, saying two years well I'm I'm thinking and (laughs) everything I've heard everything I've heard now is that it is a a one-year deal in the top 30 but um, I guess I guess we'll soon uh, see soon enough but I'm pretty sure it's going to be yeah confirmed top 30 contract Um, yeah as you said it's the response has been mixed if if anything it's possibly um not been the most positive response from eels fans it's not a sign you can get excited about wherever you're you're for it or against it even if you're arguing for it uh you'd see it more as a sign of necessity rather than out of you know pure upside well the way i look at it is this all right he's he's not going to change the eels as a premiership force I think we can. I think we're going to agree on that. Not on, not on uh, displayed form, and that's not meant as a shot at Morgan Harper as an individual or as a player or anything like that. That's just uh, on displayed form. Mm-hmm. He's he's not going to change the premiership prospects. Now, where I'll come to his defence a little bit is there probably wouldn't be the reaction that there is now. If, let's say, for example, the Eels had just announced that um, they had signed uh, Billy Smith from the Roosters, um, Josh Adokar from the Bulldogs, and Morgan Harper from 
Manly. So you would have gone, okay, there's there's some signings there that could change the trajectory of the Eels team next year and a depth signing to go with it. And most people would be like, okay. But I think where there isn't any other backline signing that's happening at the moment and where a lot of fans feel that our real our most genuine need is to recruit some outside backs and to and to recruit pace, genuine pace. Um, they're probably feeling like, is this all that the club is going to deliver for us in the way of recruitment? And I mean, we don't know. We, well, what we do know is that he's not the only recruitment target. There are other recruitment targets that are out there. Uh, whether they come to fruition, we are yet to see. Um, but he's not the sole recruitment target. So I guess, geez, I don't, I don't think we should ever now use the words um, we have to be patient as Eels supporters because I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's a given that Eels supporters are patient. It's a given. Um, I guess what I'm saying is we can only wait and see how it plays out in terms of what what now happens in the way of recruitment. Do we get a target other than Morgan Harper in the for, uh, for our backline stocks? So um, I guess that's the wait and see part. Any closing um, thoughts on the acquisition of Harper, Clint? Well, to echo where 60s was going there, you can't help when certain players become available and you know part of that situation uh, the, the reason for that situation we've we've uh we've put ourselves in that situation i should say um you know and uh we, we obviously prioritized our forwards and our spine as uh, rightly so um but um you know i think we're all sort of hanging out hoping that there is a an outside back or two um that we can nab that will move the needle for us and um, and yeah, every, everyone's jumped down. Uh, oh, I guess on the negative side of, of, of comments, has jumped down on this recruitment um, because they don't feel as though Morgan Harper fits that description. I would have to agree with those those people. Um, that being said, though, um, he, he's obviously coming in on on um, close to near minimum wage on a one year deal. What his remit is for um, for season twenty four. And that's that he'll start outside the top 17 and it's uh, up to him to try and work his way in there, you know. And obviously Morgan has a, uh, a reputation, um, the game against Cronulla, the half against Talakai that put him into the, uh, Talakai that is, into the New South Wales uh, Blues side. Um, we've often joked even here amongst ourselves that um, uh, Morgan Harper doesn't have to buy a beer in Queensland um, as a result of that game. But... You know, you, you go through his stat line, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make bad reading. You know, we've got someone who's got a, a tackle efficiency of 85% for this year, uh, average running meters of 105. Um, you go back the years previous as well, averaging 110 meters in season 2022 uh, with the tackle efficiency of, again, 85%. The year before where he made himself a name for himself in the Manly back line in the year they finished top four, he had a tackle efficiency of 89%. And averaged 100 meters per game there as well. So, hey, look, you know, he, he's he's someone um, 
who obviously can play rugby league. I mean, you don't you 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 don't get talked about being an NRL player without being um, half decent in the first instance. You know, it's very hard to make the NRL. Um, but you know, um, circling back to, to to where this conversation started, it's it's because it isn't it isn't someone who we feel is going to um, uh, make us a, a, a genuine premiership threat, and that's that's. It's unfair to judge him through that lens because that's not what he's been recruited to do. Yeah, and that and and I'm glad that you've clarified that as well in terms of that's not what he's been recruited to do, because it's it's going to be one of those things where you can feel it already that there's a groundswell that's anti him, right? Mm. And that's and and that is never fair on an individual player who's been recruited by the club I think the, the first and foremost the job of of uh, supporters is if, if if players are selected in first grade to you know get behind them give them a cheer or what have you yeah and, and and if if it's if there's uh, performance issues then it's up to the coach to make some changes now it's not always possible to make changes if there's uh, because to make changes you have to have options that are there to make the change was, and, and as we saw last year, if you didn't have outside backs in New South Wales cup, uh, because we had back rowers playing in the outside backs in New South Wales cup last year. I mean, we simply didn't have the numbers and, and that's my issue going forward is that we need to have, we need to have greater numbers of outside backs as well as a bit of quality, bit of, bit of uh, class, bit of speed. Um, but in, in the case of uh, Morgan Harper, you know what? Let him. Let's see how. Let's see how he goes. If if um, if, if he doesn't perform well, well then look, what we saw this year as well. Um, there were players that were recruited to the club who weren't able to perform, and we didn't see them in first grade. Mm. That was the that was the bottom line. We had to rely on the coaches selecting players who were going to perform and and there were some players that were given opportunities to play first grade this year they didn't they weren't able to uh produce what was needed and we saw them in uh new south wales cup for the rest of the season that's just a fact of what happened this year so um i I guess it's up to morgan harper with the pre-season to put his best foot forward we know he plays with a bit of attitude that's probably a um, a hallmark of his play, where you know probably draws attention to him with the the hair and the attitude that he plays with and all that sort of stuff. Um, we'll just see how he goes, but let's let's make something very very clear as supporters that we are looking for more recruitment. Yeah, I think but, yeah. to use your term on exposed form, if Morgan Harper is there starting in round one. Assuming there's no injuries or crazy preseason suspensions or something like that that happen, uh, then recruitment's probably let the team down. If he's if he's there as a, a piece of backline depth and is competing for a spot, you know, uh, through the preseason on the back of his own efforts, that's different. Uh, but what we, from what we know right now, based on Parramatta's needs and, like you said, his exposed form, then yeah, I, I would not be happy going into round one if that was our sole backline piece to be picked up. Yeah. Well, look, even even right now, if we picked up if we picked up no other outside back, then 
we've got we've got some major recruitment issues. Correct. Major recruitment issues. Now, we're all for the talent that's coming through by the same token in the pathways. We've got we've got a lot of um, hope and um, belief as well in the talent that's coming through. But, you know, they're not ready now. And it's unfair to expect them to be ready now. They, they may be 12 to 18 months away from getting a debut. Um, some of these younger players, like uh, Richard Penasini, for example, like uh, Blaise Talangi, for example, those those sorts of players. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we just have to uh, make sure that we've got... We don't want to be in a holding pattern or sliding further in in terms of the base that we're working from. Um, we, we need to be bouncing back into finals football next year so that when some of the younger players are coming through, that they're coming through into a strong uh, team that is a, a resident in finals football. And unfortunately, this year just gone has let that trend down we we've gone from being that in the previous years to um you know a very disappointing season one where okay we're only one win out of playing finals football but we didn't get there that's just the bottom line so we need to turn that around next year and i don't think we're going to turn it around unless we can pick up a recruit or two for the outside backs because if we're just relying on on a bit of a combination of good luck and good management to make sure that injury or suspension doesn't take too many players out of our team. Well, I think this year proved you can't rely on that because you're going to be bitten on the arse if you're, if you're relying on, um, you know, factors outside of your control. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's our... Yeah, nice, nice place to wrap that up. Like we said, it was pretty much confirmation of stuff we already knew. So the departure of Andrew Davey and then the signing of Morgan Harper. Now we move on to something you mentioned earlier in the podcast, 60s, but on Tuesday night out at Club Marconi or the Marconi Club, depending on how you want to spin it, and the Dalton House part of that uh, establishment, the Parramatta Eels had a massive gala event for the Junior Rugby League District, uh, celebrating their 2023 seasons, uh, looking to champion all the fantastic volunteers and the various award winners across all the clubs. So we'll go for it very quickly, 60s, but uh, start off from the top. I uh, had some uh, fantastic presentations from members of the paramaterial staff, both PLC and football operations, uh, speaking to the wide audience there. Uh, PLC CEO Chris Demu. Uh, we had, uh, obviously, uh, club CEO Jim Sarantinos uh, and Adam Fairley. Oh, and we... Can we mention that that amount of money that the leagues club um, granted the um, the junior rugby league because that's a fair whack of money. There. Yeah, so they, they uh, sort of uh, obviously part of the presentation were talking about the PLC's responsibilities to making sure that the junior district is in the best shape it can be, and they presented a check for the past year to the value of three hundred and sixty-four thousand dollars, or three hundred sixty-four and a half thousand dollars. Sorry, tack on another five hundred dollars there. Uh, and that just encompasses the last 12 months. Uh, and, we, you know, obviously we've spoken about the PLC and its relationship to the junior districts in length 60s, uh, both uh, in podcast and in written form as well, uh, obviously doing huge things for the district, one of the largest catchments in both Australia and New Zealand. It's a huge responsibility, and they do a fantastic job looking after it. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, and and also there, we we did have the uh, representative from Trevet Subaru, who uh, they continue to sponsor uh, a three or four year partnership League. for the junior reps now, and they've been going strong there. Uh, I think they uh, they offer a car up for raffle every year, I believe, which is pretty crazy, and all the proceeds yeah, going so to it's the. Like it's a- it's a bit of a, a jump up on the on the meat raffles for the yeah, club, just so. just a just a little step up from the old meat raffles and obviously they're yeah. things of legend themselves. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, in the last ten years the the league's club has uh, surpassed three and a half million dollars of funding to the junior rugby league, which includes supporting clubs, players, volunteers, and of course the referees. Um, MC for the night, Lewis Shepherd, who if you watch any of the uh, featured matches featured match of the round, uh, a brainchild of Adam Fairley. This year, you'd probably recognise his voice. He ran the show for the club and did a fantastic job, including hosting a Q&A with club legends, uh, Brett Kenny, Eric Grofe, Peter Wynn and Steve Eller. Uh, we'll get to that shortly, 60, because I hope that was recorded and they can put it out because that was fantastic. Uh, along with the um, video highlights package that was put together for the entire district, entire district itself, sorry, getting over my words there, uh, which I thought was a, a fantastic highlight of the strength of junior rugby league and and what the game can do to bring so many people together, I will quickly run through the awards. Well, we should, um, I was just going to say, just give, we have to give a bit of a shout out to Adam Field oh, here because done a tremendous uh, job. We, yeah, he's he's been on the podcast uh, talking us through uh, some of the initiatives at the uh, junior rugby league um, earlier this year, and we're gonna we're gonna try and catch up with him in the next couple of weeks and just to talk about. Uh, this how this season has gone, but um, yeah, a number of initiatives and the uh, and the media, social media coverage that has been introduced, uh, and for people who are unaware, the they have a match of the round in the under 16s Division One every week that is live streamed, and 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 gets that commentary provided as well by Lewis Shepherd, um, so they they actually get exposure um, from uh, as close to the, the match streaming that you might get, say, on New South Wales Rugby League is, is provided through the uh, Parramatta Junior Rugby League socials. Uh, I highly recommend people check out their Instagram page um, for the photos, the videos, uh, the videos with young kids <laughs> um, not only the highlights of them playing and the fun they have with that, but the chats with them about you know the various topics, everything from their favourite food to uh, favourite subjects at school and um, and um, their what they love about playing footy and that sort of thing. So um, there's some great moments that have been captured during the year. I think once you've had one visit to the site there, you end up going back and and uh, and we'll talk about one particular video when you go through. <laughs> yeah, the recipients there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start with the big ones uh, going across the various clubs that picked up major gongs. Uh, Wentworthville United Magpies taking out the overall club championship. Good to see Wenty having a big year there. The Junior Incentive Shield, uh, which I believe encompassed a, a broad range of initiatives and uh, community aspects uh, including growing the game and other aspects, not necessarily, not necessarily just like the sort of main ones that you uh, usually recognise, went to All Saints Toon Gabby. Obviously, All Saints have been incredible pioneers in the women's space, 60s and Quint. No surprise to see them picking that up there. The modified incentive shield went to Cabramatta. Club of the year was the Guildford Owls, which I believe was the club that was the most successful. Uh, I'm not sure 
That's what's the cop No, no, that was actually one that was voted on by the other. That's clubs. right. That's right. So yeah. So that to to clarify, they gave out polling as uh, polling points to every club, uh, who and essentially they rated them based on their interactions, uh, both on and off the field of these clubs on a three to one basis. I think it was sixties, and uh, yeah. yeah so, I, I can't remember, but I just know it was voted on by their. Yeah, peers, and the so. Guildford Owls picked that one up there. Secretary of the Year went to John Burns of the Wenty Magpies or the Wentworthville United Magpies. Uh, so a couple of big clubs there picking up good gongs. Uh, in terms of the individual awards, uh, the major ones, uh, the Philip Carey Memorial Award for Male Player of the Year went to Lachlan Metcalf of the Wenty Magpies. Uh, Lockie had a fantastic little highlight reel there, kicked the 40-20, had a clutch short kickoff and a conversion to take a game to tie uh, tied status with uh, just seconds on the clock. So a fantastic job there. The Jam Bryan Award, which was the inaugural uh, edition of it for the Female Player of the Year, went to Chloe uh, Sacalotto of the Kellyville Bush Rangers. Coach of the Year was split between uh, Judy May Penny of the Winty Magpies and Craig Colnane of the Hills Bulls. Ref of the Year went to a young fellow by the name of Bowie Clark, who had plenty of spunk. Uh, actually, I like, I like the way he carried himself for a young ref. And then Try of the Year, well, uh, you, you want to get onto that Instagram that Craig mentioned because... This one had over 15 million impressions, I'm pretty certain. It went viral worldwide. It went to a, a young lad who was a big unit uh, by the name of Viliotu Masila of the Marylands Rams. Uh, the big fella had an all-time... I mean, this is the sort of try he's going to be talking about in his 40s and 50s when he's having a beer at the pub about the time that he took the kickoff two metres off his goal and line. <laughs> he's got he's got the receipts. Yeah, he's got the receipts. Took the, the kickoff two metres off his goal line. Damn near beat the entire team en route to going length of the field to score a try. Uh, incredible effort, and it's a great little bit of video. Uh, the other try of the year, sorry, the try of the finals was went to Matthew Kenner, a uh, young lad from the Borkham Hill Brumbies who had a, a big uh, trial for kick chase. Uh, so did a great stuff there. And, uh, I mean, the, the reception to both those tries and all the other tries that were in competition for the, the spots there was fantastic from the audience in participation. And it was a very good vibe there across all those things. Uh, any words on those tries there, sixties, or the ones that uh, didn't get the major gong? Maybe. Look, I, all I wanted to say um, right now was on our site, uh, we, and obviously it's on the Eels official site as well. We've listed all the all the different people that uh, received the awards for being the volunteers. Yeah, because it, it's an exhaustive list because it's a member from each of the clubs in the Parramatta Junior District. Which I think is a great yeah, initiative, stuff. but also means that there's about thirty people you got to acknowledge. Yeah, and and it is important to acknowledge them because junior rugby league, the foundation of it is people giving up their time, mm-hmm. people volunteering, and really the evening was all about acknowledging and celebrating all the efforts from everyone across all of those clubs. It was great to see the the reception that was given to all of the award winners, no matter which club they were from, uh, everyone was, you know, acknowledging everyone else. The, uh, and you know what, what really summed it up was when the Guildford Owls representatives collected their award and they quite humbly said, you know what, other clubs set the bar so high and they used the examples of, mm-hmm. of what they experienced with other clubs to, and, and have tried to emulate that to the best of their ability. So they've, that they basically said, look, we, we took the example from all of you to try to be the best that we could be. So 
you know, it's our thanks is to is to every other club that's there. And I thought, you know, that it really did sum up, um, you know, the vibe that was in the room on the night. It was it was a very positive vibe, and um, yeah, quite quite an enjoyable night. Um, rounded off, of course, with um, Eric Growth. Yeah, I was, I was going to I was going to let, let you uh, talk about both Eric Growth band performance and oh, well, I say band, but his guitar performance, and then also the interview. I'll leave that to you, mate. Oh, look the the interviews were. I mean, we've had a lot of chats with these legends, and they never disappoint. So it doesn't matter what the venue is. If you get the opportunity to go in and listen to some of these yarns yourself, um, it's it's really enjoyable. And, and especially if there's more than one of them. Because if you've got more than one, what you know is you're going to get a swapping of yarns, and you're also going to get a, a bit of good-natured ribbing um, to go along with it. And um, it was uh, I. I did quote Brett Kenny in uh, my report um, on TCT, where he was asked about the Panthers three feet and about what it was like for himself when Parramatta won three in a row, and he he just said, "Yeah, look, it, it got a bit boring actually. Um, you know, after the third, it was like, <laughs> well, there's another game we won." <laughs> and another two tries. <laughs> so, out of, out of context, it obviously sounds very arrogant, but in the context, he was yeah. he was being very jovial and, and carrying on a fantastic manner. And i, I got to say, poor Peter Wynn might need to get some uh, rib guards on because of the amount of ribbing he got from all three of them there. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you had, uh, oh, you had Steve Eller making fun of Eric Grofer for being a winger. You had the boys riffing on Pete Wynn. You had... Uh, uh, Brett Kenny taking the Mickey out of himself. Uh, they the rapport between that entire team, but the four boys that we saw there obviously is fantastic. Well, Steve, El- what was funny was Steve Eller um, saying, you know, everyone knows that try that Eric Gross scored against Canterbury in the finals, where he beat like about seven or eight players on his diagonal run to the try line. And he, he said, but, you know, he doesn't get any credit for setting him up. <laughs> and then, then Brett piped yeah, in saying, I passed it to you from dummy yeah. half. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, I think Eric replied with um, the only time Steve used to throw him a pass was when he ran out of room himself. You know, <laughs> like, here, you better take it. <laughs> so, look, it was, uh, it, it was great. And, uh, look, we've been, we've been really fortunate over the years to – to get to um, speak to these fellas quite informed, like both formally uh, when when they're our, our guests uh, at the club after the games and then, of course, informally because we've had the opportunity to, to share a yarn and drink with them before and after games or at events like this. So it was great to catch up with them. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was – look, it was a, it was a, a great night um, – Really appreciative of the club for our invitation to be there, and uh, we're glad to be able to share that with you both in our our written report and also having a chat here in the podcast about it. So, um, yeah, and it, and it's good to be able to talk about you know such positivity uh, within the within the district. And again, a shout out to um, the all the goals that are being kicked in the junior league uh, in in the Parramatta district because. Clubs are the junior clubs are such a vital community resource, and the the 
consistent message that we hear from a lot of coaches about it's not about producing winners. It's about producing, um, you know, people who are the best that they can be, you know, that are good citizens, that are, that, um, you know, have good values and um, can contribute in a positive way to their community. And, and, you know, if you've, I guess these people that are the volunteers are the best example of that, the best role models, because they're giving themselves. And if, if part of that means that these young people, these young players turn around and in the future, they also contribute in the same way and they give back to the community and the club by being involved in the club themselves as they get older. And I think there's a, tends to be a tradition in clubs with that. Well, I think that's fantastic. And, and communities are always going to be better off for having junior sports clubs, not just rugby league clubs, but all sports, all junior sports clubs, because it it's um you know it is such a positive um you know factor in the community isn't it for for kids to be involved in in some form of sport so uh yeah great evening and um yeah great positive thing to be able to talk about and we'll get into moving on we'll get into a recap and preview of the pacific championships that happened last week and obviously this week coming but we'll quickly run through the Parramatta Reels that are in action this week boys as i go through the nrl.com uh, team list Tuesday announcements. So I'll just run down each team as they present them. Uh, so we start off with the key. Well, um, can, John, can I just actually say they, the Eels did a good job. They actually gave the Eels players to watch for each of the games. Oh, there you so, go. Uh, so uh, if, if you don't you, mind, I'll, I'll just run yeah, through. Yeah, you, you, jump, you jump straight in. You've got the, uh, the uh, ace in the sleeve there. Yeah, so... In the New Zealand versus Samoa game, which is um, on Saturday over in New Zealand, we've got Dylan Brown and uh, and Woody uh, in action for New Zealand and uh, Junior Paulo Dejan Arce, um for Samoa. In the Kiwi Ferns versus Tonga, which is the earlier game at Eden Park on Saturday, uh, we've got Cassie Toei Hiku, Jade Fanua. Amelia Murphy, Shannon Muru for Tonga and Capri uh, Pakau for the Kiwi Ferns. And uh, I'm not sure whether we've got any uh, any of those that are actually on the bench or or, or uh, maybe on the reserve list. Um, then on Sunday, the Fiji versus the Cook Islands, we've got uh, Micah Sivo and Wonga Blake in action for Fiji. And the earlier game, which is, uh, this is up in Port Moresby, is the uh, PNG Awkwards versus the Cook Islands. And we've got Elsie Albert in action for PNG. So she's making her comeback match. So we'll have a bit more of a talk about those matches. But again, uh, for anyone that's interested and, and wants a recap on that, uh, yeah, the Eels have put it up on their um, on, on their website, the players, Eels players that are expected to be in action this week. So you can go there and check that out. Is there anything to be made of the fact that Wonga Blake's still listed as an Eel in that article? Or is that more of a... Um, yeah. um, that is, is for, until October 31 this year, True. Um, which is the end of the NRL contract year. And uh, the game is taking place before then. So um, still considered an Eel up until that point in time. I am... Um... I do note that Cassie Toihiku is in the halves of Tiana Penatani for the Matamae uh, team. So 
I don't know how that's going to work out. You've got a couple of our backs there. I mean, it'd be awesome, mm-hmm. to, see, awesome to see Cassie with more ball in hand. I'm not complaining in that regard. Uh, but no organising half there for the team could be a bit of a handbrake for their ability to compete. Yeah, uh, look, I think it'll be um, when we look at the at those matches in the tips and you and you give a bit of a run through on the team lists, we'll make comment on uh, some of those selection decisions. Mm-hmm. I think because they could well be match defining. Yes, indeed. All right, that concludes the Parramatta portion of the news cycle. So let's move on to the general NRL and international stuff. We start uh, as is unfortunately way too often with the NRL in the judicial system, uh, with uh, Junior Amone being found guilty of uh, was it assault causing physical bodily harm or just general assault with the when he was going MC Hammer uh, earlier in the year. Uh, he has been found guilty, but sentencing has been postponed to early December. I think the 6th of December is when they're going to return to court. Um, obviously a pretty big blow to the Dragons. Uh, he should be sitting out for some time. Um, I... I do have issue with this insofar as the inconsistencies of the no-fault stand-down. Um, a, a man that's been found guilty of assault was allowed to play uh, versus some of the other stuff we saw this year. Um, so not not huge of the NRL's consistency there, but what do we make of this one, boys? The Dragons are already in a bit of a rut when it comes to their roster construction and the personnel they've got and the, ta- the talent pool they're sort of tapping into. Uh, is this a loss to them or is a sort of streaky, inconsistent talent like Junior Ramone, who has a lot of potential but hasn't really realised it, not that big a loss. I guess it only become it, it. It's only a loss when it actually becomes a loss. So we'll see what happens with the sentencing, and then how the NRL follow that up with the Integrity Commission decisions um, about any stand down that might impact him. Obviously, if he's given a prison sentence, well, that's that's the first step in his time out of the game. Um, and I guess after that, the NRL has to decide uh, when he's, when and if he's allowed back into the game, should there be a prison sentence? So there's so much up in the air in, in terms of conjecture, but the, the Dragons have allowed um, players to leave. Uh, we know they struggled around the halves this season. Um they couldn't seem to settle on where Ben Hunt was going to be for a while there. Um, they've recruited Kyle Flanagan. Um, is is he an answer? Are Dragons fans going to be into Kyle as much as what the fans at, um, uh, at the Bulldogs were? Um, did they recruit him to be a half or, or a dummy half? I mean, look, the one thing that we know about the Dragons is they have failed to deliver for multiple years now for probably a variety of reasons. Um, I'm not sure that they're all necessarily coaching reasons. I mm-hmm. think there have been some recruitment issues that are there. I think maybe there's a cultural issue at the club, um, which was evident by their presentation evening last year where people basically didn't turn up. What was it? Something like four players or something like that turned up to their mm. end of year presentation night. Um, so yeah, look, I think they've got some deep seated issues within the club. Whether Shane Flanagan can get on top of that nice and quickly remains to be seen. Um, but man, this is never a good thing. If you've got 
if you well, we saw what happened with Jack DeBellin just going through the long process with the trial um, that he where he was eventually found. Well, he wasn't found. Was he found not guilty, or was he found um, not a case to answer? I'm trying to think what what happened with Jack DeBellin now, where uh, whether it was a straight out not guilty or one of the other sort of verdicts, which meant that he was um, that he he didn't. He, he wasn't uh, convicted, but anyway, um, yeah, it, it's, it's the disruption that it puts on the team, the, the dark shadow that it casts across the club. Nobody wants that. So, to, yeah. To clarify for you, uh, five of the six charges, the jury was unable to reach a verdict for Jack DeBellin, and on the six, he was deemed not guilty. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, obviously one of those like grey outcomes when it comes to the, the court case for DeBellin. Uh, but yeah, for Amone, his uh, playing future very much hangs in the balance pending that sentencing uh, in December. Quint, what are your thoughts on this one, mate? Do you like how the NRL handled the process, the inconsistencies in the no-fault stand-down? Um, which, you know, we, I know that it pertains to the different jurisdictions in terms of, I think it's what, domestic violence and things involving women in general. Uh, but when you had a man convicted of assault with a hammer... Should he have been stood down from day dot? Uh, look, you know, if, if you want to look through the lens of um, equity here and you know, taking taking on board that you have noted that there is some differences based on the charges, but, you know, there, there's going to be um, people from different clubs that look at this situation and go, well, hold on, and, and, and there'd be a little bit of whataboutism about it. Um, this is the guy who's now been found guilty, but he was able to play throughout the year and he's been found guilty of a, of a crime that um, could let, have him have a potential jail sentence. Yeah, I have some questions about the consistency, you know, and, and granted the NRL aren't um, lawmakers, but they are policymakers. And what we'd like to see is um, absolutely um, a transparent interpretation of that policy, something that's easily understandable um, for the everyday person. So that when some of these situations, and unfortunately there will be future situations of it, um, you know, we don't wish any of that on anyone, but there will be future situations for the NRL to, to handle and deal with, that they can do so with a little bit more, um, a little bit more transparency and, and 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 communicate a little bit more clearly, so that the wider rugby league public can um, understand and interpret it themselves, as opposed to us all uh, scratching our heads going. Well, hold on. This situation was that, and this is that. So, how did you end up at this this interpretation? And why is, why can player A play but player B can't, and so on and so forth. So, um, and as for the nature of the crime that he's been found guilty of, um, one of the more bizarre assault charges I think I've ever heard of. Um, you know, to 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 be charged with hitting someone with a, a hammer and causing was it causing grievous bodily harm? Did we say? I wasn't sure yeah. on the. Hang on, I'll, I'll skim this article so I can find. Um, but, but um, if, if, if irrespective, still a, a, a very strange and peculiar, peculiar situation, and you kind of wonder how someone gets themselves in that situation, be it a um, an NRL player or not. So, um, he now has to um, face uh, the courts for sentencing. And I'd be very surprised if we see him playing NRL again, to be perfectly honest. Well, I think the the reasoning behind 
him not being stood down ended up having to do with the level of court that his um, case was going to be heard in, so that it, I think he was ended up being a, um, a trial before a magistrate as opposed right. to a, a trial before a judge. And also, um, and where there was a difference, I think, with Dylan Brown was that Dylan Brown straight out uh, pleaded guilty um, to the charges that he was up against so that um, it very quickly moved from the um, the no through, fault through, through the courts and, and through the court system as a result. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so Monet had a string it, of charges, boys, uh, just to clarify. <laughs> it's a not a small one for his record, but uh, damaging property, intimidation, entering a building or land of intent to commit an indictable offence, assault occasioning actual bodily harm, um, he pled guilty to a, a few of them and then obviously either took no contest or guilty to the rest of them. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to be a nice little rap sheet for him. Yeah. So what, yeah, I mean, what ends up happening is um, it's not going to be positive for the, the Dragons and whether he's able to play again at the NR, level of the NRL remains to be seen. I guess players have gone to prison before and, and, and came out and were rugby league became their second chance. He's still only very young. So it may well be that um, he's given an opportunity if the, if the sentence isn't too long, who knows what the, you know, the NRL may decide at some point uh, down the track. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, look, it's not good for the dragons. It's not good for rugby league in general, when you have these sorts of things happening where, um, you know, someone's found guilty of um, chasing people with a hammer, you know, it's like, yeah, not, not good at all. No. So, um, yeah. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move away from the negative, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and move on to the big news of the week. Something that was uh, reported on earlier in the year. And I think actually directly involves TCT in a way, sixties. Uh, and that's the sort of increasing momentum towards Papua New Guinea being the 18th franchise to enter the NRL. Uh, got a, a bit of traction this week. I think uh, was a uh, Bishop was reporting on Twitter about it uh, becoming increasing favourite to be the next franchise to join the National Rugby League. There's talk about Australian government putting funding in, about the NRL putting funding in. Uh, we all know that PNG are absolutely rugby league mad. Um, and, you know, TCT's own... Uh, very good, I suppose, correspondent and a good friend, Joey Grimer, departed from the Parramatta Eels in part to help the uh, the Kumuls and PNG get to the NRL. He's in charge of their pathways and development or the high, uh, the elite development systems in PNG now. Um, and this would be a, a massive step towards, well, the rumours would indicate that they've taken a massive step towards being the next NRL franchise. Yeah, well, it's for a... For a franchise to be selected they have to have all of their structures and systems in place and that's where uh, Joey was recruited uh, he was targeted he was headhunted by um, by the franchise to take on that role of setting up their pathway systems and it's that's obviously you know right right up his alley uh, doing that he loves getting his teeth into into setting up those sorts of structures and and working with young players. So um, it, it, he's he's just recently had, I think, some uh, junior teams that were selected 
he, when he first moved up there, we were um, he sent some videos of uh, the early early days of trials and just the the number of young people that were there um, trying out for um, some of their elite squads and just the the difference in well the way the I guess the the fact that they don't have things that a lot of players here might take for granted the boots the gear the the elite fields really that players here get to get to play on and when you know we may not necessarily think of local council grounds as as being elite level grounds well I can tell you it'd be elite level grounds compared to what the young players up in Papua New Guinea are playing on but they have such a passion for the game so look it's if you've got a country where rugby league is the national sport, if you can get them to be professional and competitive to such a to such a degree that they can be part of a national competition like the NRL, then um, it's only going to be great for the game. I'm hoping that the Kumuls, well, we don't know they're going to be called the Kumuls. They wouldn't be because that's their national team. But this this PNG franchise is successful. We obviously have that personal investment in it with um, our, our good mate Joey and wanting to see him successful. But it's it's going to be great for the game. Now, that doesn't mean I'm opposed to a team from Perth, for example. Like I, I still think there is a place for a team from Perth and whether it's, whether it's got a link to a, a an older team such as the bears or, or what I'm, you know, I don't know. And I'm not, I don't get to be a decision maker, but I think at some point down the track, just the difference with the time zones and what have you to me makes it a great yeah, Perth, natural fit for, for TV coverage. Yeah. Perth makes a lot of sense for the TV deal. hundred percent. So, um, but yeah, but it, it, but the mail is now there for PNG. What's your thoughts on that, Clint? Do you think it's uh, going to be a great thing for the game if uh, if a team from Papua New Guinea becomes the 18th franchise? Look, I'm pro PNG, but there's something about this that doesn't smell quite right to me, and it's from the geopolitical perspective. Um, you know, I, I want a PNG franchise. I want it to be successful. I also want it to be done the right way. And I'm not entirely certain, gents, whether this is the right way. And controversy um, coming, controversial opinion <laughs> coming here, Clint. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might we might uh, uh, signal the siren here a bit, uh, ring the bell. Um, you know, uh, because of, a, a lot has been made of this from a geopolitical perspective and in terms of um, Chinese influence across. Um, the, the wider Asia-Pacific area, and obviously Papua New Guinea makes up part of that area. And I don't like a sporting franchise being used as a potential political pawn. Um, and what's to say that um, if it's used one way, it can't be used the other way and then um, throws any potential NRL competition into jeopardy because it's being used as such? Now, obviously, I'm talking many, many, many steps down the line here, and we're obviously having a very preliminary discussion about this at the moment. And as I said, I want a PNG team. I want them to succeed. I want it to be done under the right circumstances, though. And there's 
there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of um, politicking going on with this from from a number of angles. Obviously, Albanese wants some some goodwill with this as well, um, which he can understand. And he's a rugby league person too. Um, and and look, we're, we're rugby league people as well. And you know, we, we have a vested interest in rugby league growing and being the biggest sport. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't I don't want there to be an opportunity. I guess is what I'm getting at for any rugby league team or club to be used as a political pawn or as political goodwill in a grander um, game that's being played. And so um, I, I'm sort of shifting into a bit of protective mode here um, that um, the assets being our teams and our players aren't at risk of anything from that. Now, again, I don't know what that could, may or may not be or what that could or could not be. Um, but, you know, when there's whisperings around geopolitical angle with it, it just doesn't, it just sort of sets my sniff test off a little bit. I go, mm, I don't quite like where that's going. So um, basically but, you like politics and sport to be completely separate is basically in, what you're saying. In, in, this, in this particular instance, yes, because, you know, there, there, there is a point where they will collide. Um, and, um, you know, sport's one of the great unifiers in the world. Um, you know, I think the only other thing that really can um, attest to that, and they probably all come under an umbrella, is, is uh, entertainment umbrella, is music. Um, sport is one of the great unifiers, and, you know, we, sh we should leverage that. But at the same time, uh, given some of the, the geopolitical tensions that exist across the world at the moment, and, you know, Australia obviously trying to shore up its place in the Asia-Pacific, um, and 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 have allies there. I don't I don't want rugby league to be used as a pawn in that. Rather, I would want a any Papua New Guinean um, bid to survive on its own merit, and then likewise um, be something that, irrespective of anything that's going on in the world at any point in time, not be used as leverage or even potential collateral damage in anything that may happen. Now, just. Just on this one one topic that I would want to discuss at the moment, because I think we can segue it a little bit when we're about to talk about um, Jerome Luai testing the market, is let's assume that the PNG bid is successful. Where do you think they would go in terms of recruitment? Do you think they would um, recruit a large number of their top 30 or do you think they would have a, a rather large number of places set aside for their locally developed talent you know like and if so what sort of ratio of the top 30 do you think that would be that would that would be um png local talent john Ooh, what do you a, think that's a tricky question um yeah, I wonder what ratio of their top 30 you'd think would be uh, from the PNG pathways themselves. Is it half, two-thirds, 40%? Um, where's, where's the sweet spot in terms of being competitive in the NRL and also furthering the progress of rugby league development in PNG? I'm, I'm really not sure. That'd be a fantastic question for someone like Joey Grimer. I'm not sure if he'd be at liberty to give us exact figures in terms of his, you know, his role there with the organisation, but... Uh, that is a very good question. Uh, it probably it's probably plus or minus five ish percent on half the squad. You'd think, like you're going to need, and if you're doing that, 
you're going to need a very good core of seasoned NRL players to help that squad build up um, because that, that's, yeah. a lot, that's a lot of inexperience in the roster. Uh, I know they've got a Q Cup team in the Hunters that have been there for a number of years now and that, that helps. Uh, but there is, as we all know, there is a significant jump from both uh, Q Cup and New South Wales Cup to the NRL. So if you, you're talking about half your top 30 roster being from your pathways, from an you know, a inexperienced, or I say inexperienced, but a straight-up, you know, rookie franchise, then, yeah, you need some serious heavyweight, you know, hitters at the top. Um, otherwise, you could even scale it down to maybe a third, but with a, a prerogative to bring that up year on year. So I'm, I'm not sure which yeah. is a better approach, but maybe you start smaller and build up uh, because we know that recruiting for a new franchise is difficult. You know, the, the Dolphins had Wayne Bennett and they struggled to bring stars in. Even though they did well, they struggled to bring stars in. They had a lot of high-profile players saying no, and that is a more uh, appealing area to move to as an NRL player. And I know that they're talking about playing uh, games in Cairns and Port Moresby and whatnot and balancing that. Uh, but you know, you, you're talking about Redcliffe versus Port Moresby and Cairns. Even Cairns itself isn't as appealing as, to me as Redcliffe. So it's a tough sell. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they will get some stars, but we saw like with the Dolphins that even with the super coach there, it's not easy, at least in the first year. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it would be you'd have to think as well they they'd need to spend um, over and above market price to get stars. I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there's also cap concessions given to them as a, mm, an expansion yeah. team that has a particularly difficult mission to you know achieve uh, and. I wouldn't be too upset with it. They'll certainly get developmental concessions in regards to trying to keep their own young talent or poaching talent. Um, but even at the top level, I wouldn't be surprised if they get cap concessions. Maybe not officially, like not to announce to the world, but in terms of their actual operations, they'll be allowed to go above what the other teams can do in order to get competitive or get established as a competitive outfit in the first few years. I think we've already seen from their national team that there is only a, a small scattering of PNG players that are playing in elite competitions in neither Australia or England. So they are definitely going to have to look beyond homegrown produced talents. Clint, what do you think? Do you think they would have a percentage sweet spot that they'd be looking at in terms of that? I know we're a long way down the track talking about it, but I just thought it would be a point of interest. I'd imagine there'd be some guiding principles and part of their long-term strategy where they would look to over the course of time shift as much percentage um to homegrown players as possible and then um, you know obviously they have a whole country to pick from there and we're talking about a country whose national sport is rugby league as you touched on earlier the only country in the world to have rugby league as its national sport um so um yeah look i'd, I'd imagine with the view to doing that long term they'd obviously have a number in mind um, in the immediate term as well, if they were approved to be the 18th franchise. So, look, you know, um, uh, further to that, I should say, or in addition to that, though, um, and, and an extension of the point that you made about there only being a percentage playing, they obviously would have to um, recruit um, players from all over um, to, to fill the gap in the meantime as, as, as the... Um, as the as the development pathways uh, fruit um, takes time to bear, so you know um, you'd probably look to a lot of players back over in um, the Super League with an opportunity to potentially come um, 
either rejoin the NRL or join the NRL for the first time there. You'd look at some players within the, the Queensland um, and New South Wales Cup competitions who are probably players on the precipice looking to break through. And, you know, there'd probably be a handful of NRL players who'd probably get paid um, uh, above market rate and, um, and break some contract um, uh, records to get there. Uh, that would probably comprise of the makeup the, the, their squad in, in the first year or two. Yeah, and and as John mentioned as well, the team would probably be based out of Cairns playing matches in both Port Moresby and Cairns, but you, you would imagine that, um, you know, NRL players with young families wouldn't necessarily be looking to relocate to uh, PNG to, mm. as, as somewhere to live. And that, I'm not saying that as a knock on on PNG at all, but it's um, when you're trying to recruit high-profile players and uh, their families from, um, you know, probably some locations in Queensland and New South Wales, uh, coastal locations or what have you, um, especially if they're already very well paid, there's going to need to be a really good selling point. Um, and maybe that selling point might be Cairns rather than uh, Port Moresby. Uh, I can't really talk about. It. I've never been to Papua New Guinea. You can only, uh, but what we do know is that um, it is a different way of life up there to how it is in Australia. So um, there is that uh, cultural difference that will exist, and um, and and for that reason, maybe as you say, the the they're going to very much rely on their own pathways down the track. Uh, They'll probably look to bring a number of players home, uh, inverted commas, from um, that are playing around in different in, for different teams, different competitions, um, and then uh, maybe their their top players from the Queens the Q Cup would look, go to the bottom end of the of the uh, top thirty and into development squad positions, so they could effectively probably have you know ten eleven players that are homegrown as well as, uh, you know, 24, 25 players that they recruit elsewhere. And you, that'd, that'd still be a very good mix, wouldn't it? Like, mm. if, you, if, you, if you recruited that many players into the team, like a couple of dozen players into the team, and then could still have another dozen or more locally produced products, um, I think that would work out well as far as their numbers when they first start. So, um, uh, now, John, I just touched on Luai. Yeah, Jerome Luai picked up some new management, Black Money Enterprises. Uh, most notable clients include Jack Whiten, Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, Bradman Best. And on top of that, um, and I imagine this is it's a two-way street here, I think the Penrith Panthers made it clear that he wasn't their priority, Dylan Edwards and the like were. Um, he's going to go to the open market. So he's going to go test and see what his value is on the open market. I mean, the man's just won three, three rings, so it's not like he's shortened premierships for his... Uh, career catalogue, he would very much go and take the dollars from a, a lower-tier NRL club now. Do you expect him to do that, boys, or do you think he's going to go to the market, get his value, come back to the Panthers and maybe work something out? Look, I think it's interesting because I think there's probably a mixed perception of Jerome Luai out there. Um, would I be interested in, in Parramatta recruiting him? Probably not. No. Um, would 
what sort of clubs would be interested in recruiting him. I think, you know, your clubs like uh, West Tigers, uh, Bulldogs um, would be up near the top of the list. Um, probably um, the Dragons would put themselves in in that uh, in that mix as well. Um, so, look, I'm sure there are uh, maybe even the Raiders, but um, and and I guess as far as the coin is concerned, um, those clubs that I mentioned would possibly play top of the market value. Nine hundred million, there because yeah, yep. I, I think they probably would. If you if you said to the Tigers that you're a chance of recruiting a premiership winning five eight, would you be prepared to pay nine hundred thousand a million dollars if you knew you could get him? I I don't think the Tigers would have any hesitation, given what they've paid out. They paid out that sort of money for Luke Brooks, didn't they? in the past. So, um, and continued to pay him when they weren't even making finals football. Well, his money still stayed top of the market. The the Brooks contract is one of the greatest albatrosses in the history of the modern game. (laughs) Um, and that also, I mean, that's one of the big things to look forward to in 2024 is we finally get an answer to the, the great Luke Brooks conundrum, don't we? About the, the relationship he had with the Tigers and who was at fault, whether both are pretty ordinary, which I think is the most likely outcome. Or whether, you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll put myself, I'll put myself out on a limb here. I reckon he'll produce better for Manly than he yeah, ever did. I, for I don't, I don't think that's outrageous. I, I also don't think he's a great player, though. I think he's just going to end up being an okay half at Manly. Um, in in yeah, regards, I think he'll be a good. Well, he'd be a good club halfback. And this actually, this actually dovetails nicely back to where I want to go to with Luai. He's going to have he being uh, Brooks will have the benefit of playing outside Daly Cherry Evans next year which is obviously a massive upgrade in terms of the personnel he's played with in the spine at the West Tigers. In fact, the best half he's ever played with in his tenure at the West Tigers was the short period he had with a very raw and underdeveloped Mitchell Moses. And since then, it's been a just a turnstile of borderline first graders and, yeah, that's about it. Coming back to Jerome Luai, I think there is a very significant buyer beware for any prospective signer of that particular player because much like how Luke Brooks is going to prosper from playing next to Delhi Cherry Evans and maybe having a maybe having a fit Tom Dubovic available, Jerome Luai comes from the most talent-rich team in the competition. He is literally the luck, luxury, the, 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 the surplus the part of the... Yeah, the, even, even a team that had a weak dummy half position this year, he was the most surplus to requirements part of their spine. When he was out, Penrith just kept chugging on. Nathan Cleary... Zai Yo, Dylan Edwards, they're, they're the real, you know, the heart of their playmaking call there. And any team that's buying Jerome Luai needs to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to be getting a streaky, run-heavy guy who is an opportunistic player at his best. He, he plays best when the, the team has been opened up by his uh, other teammates, his, you know, big forwards or dynamic backs, and can get, you know, into sort of pseudo-fractured play or open-field play from there. And I, I think that's a real... If I'm a prospective buyer, I'd be very scared of by that fact. He hasn't got a strong kicking game. He's not an organiser. He's a, you know, I'd say average defensive half. You know, I wouldn't call him, you know, terrible by any means. I don't think he's particularly strong in that regard either. So when you're doing that and you're going to be paying that guy a million dollars, if you're the Tigers, the Bulldogs, whoever it is, 
you've got to be wary of that. You've got to know that if he hasn't got a strong halves partner or even a strong spine to facilitate the, the sort of gameplay that he needs and to put him in the positions to, to capitalise, you'd run the risk of getting a guy on a lot of money that won't be able to produce. I, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I just think there will be clubs. Oh, he's going to get paid. The guy's won three rings. He is absolutely dynamic when the play does break down a bit and defences can be opened up. There's no doubt about that. Um, he, he is dynamic. He's got a great highlight reel. He's played rep football to you know varying success, but he's got the receipts there. He is going to get his payday, whether it's at Penrith where he knows he works in that system for two, three $300,000 less than what the market rate is. I don't know. Um, he'll, he'll have to take a pretty big hometown discount to stay out in the, the western most parts of Sydney, given that they've loaded up their roster elsewhere for other attentions. But if he does go somewhere else, yeah, that that's the reality. He's going to get paid. I, whether you agree with my opinion that you know he is a flawed but talented player and maybe not a good fit for a team that's trying to build up to a premiership without the control pieces in place, he is going to get paid one way or the other. So, Clint, who's, who's up the front of the queue waving the checks with... Jerome and his manager go into market. Uh, say Canterbury Bank sounds probably um, front and centre there, uh, making plenty of noise. Um, you mentioned the West Tigers there as well. Uh, depending on what happens with Ben Hunt at St George Illawarra over the course of the next um, twelve to twenty-four months, they'll be having a sniff. I even think Canberra, uh, the Canberra Raiders, might be there um, have, having a sniff about as well. I think, I think there'd be something about the way that. Jerome plays and um, you know, his his attitude that um, would mesh well with Ricky and the Raiders. Um, you know, I've I, I've I've got a feeling it'd be Canterbury and Canberra. To be perfectly honest, who'd be who'd be there uh, making the most noise and, and keen to make a splash with the cash. And if you were forced to nominate one team that would be the most likely to secure him. Out of those, who would you think? Uh, it'd be the Canterbury Penrith uh, Bulldog. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was thinking the same as well. Yeah, I think Canterbury. Like, uh, Canterbury certainly feel like they're making the the moves to free up the space again, don't they? With the talk about Josh Adokar being on the outer, and you know the Tevita Pungai Junior moving on from rugby league, uh, they've you know opened up the cap space requisite to make the sort of splashy signing in the future that, that would you know, be in line for Jerome Luai. I don't think it's a great fit for him. I think between Burton and Luai, who would be their presumptive halves pairing, um, mm. they haven't picked up anyone else I can think of. Uh, I mean, you, you're playing two players of similar talents uh, across the two playmaking positions, and that traditionally doesn't lead to a lot of success. Yeah, yeah. You, you look at it and you go, there's not really a, a, a team general Yep. out there with yep. either of those two. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right. Well, fellas, that probably brings us to the uh, time for our, our tips for this week's Yeah, matches. we'll do a quick wrap-up of last week's action, very quick. Just uh, I think everything sort of fell the way we predicted for the most part, boys. In the Women's Pacific Championships, the Jillaroos just pipped the, the Kelly Ferns 16-10. I think I actually did say that there would be a, a tight victory for the Jillaroos, so get to put a little feather in my cap mm-hmm. there. Uh, the Fetu Samoa... Overran the Fiji uh, Bulakula, 26-12. to 12. Parramatta's own uh, Lindsay Tui bagged a double in that game. Good to see. She was out in the right wing, I believe. 
Uh, and then in the men's championship, the Pacific Championship, the uh, Kangaroos, too good for Tola Samoa, 38-12. to 12. Uh, No surprises there. Uh, again, that we talk about you know the importance of having an organising half or a, a general in the field. Probably something that Samoa lacked. Looking at their, their spine, they had a very good back line, a very good forward pack, but their spine of uh, Young Far Longo, uh, then you had Stephen Crichton, a centre turn 5-8, Parramatta's own Dejan Arcee, and then a dummy half. They had Justin Matamua playing there. Isn't he a back roll by primary trade for West Tigers, I feel like? Yeah, I think he's a lock forward. Yeah, he's 185 centimetres, 103 kilos. You know, very big for a dummy half. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that was the big handbrake for them. And Australia, obviously, just very hungry in the particular contest, started sharp. And then uh, probably maybe the the extent of the scoreboard, a bit of a surprise, but the PNG Kumuls, they put the pain on the uh, Cook Islands, I2, 46-10. to 10. Uh, And it wasn't a full house out of Port Moresby, surprisingly, but they're still very raucous. Uh, it was a good day for Danny McDonald. He had the double Hattie, four tries, uh, and alongside uh, tries to Laybutt of the Zach Variety, a double for him, Robert Darby, and Valentine Richard, as well as Appel Capinius. So a good day for the Kummels at home. Um, but yeah, I think sort of to a T, all the results within our purview right there. Well, I think for a start, I just want to talk about that PNG match. And and it relates back to the uh, what we were talking about before with them with the, with the franchise. What we know is that they play their rugby league with passion. And... Every time they compete, they're in a match. They will just compete to the best of their ability, and I think they they turned up ready to play as they always do. I don't think the Cook Islands. I mean, I, I know that there's a um, the Cook Islands don't have. They didn't probably have some of the the better Cook Islander players that play in the NRL or players of Cook Island heritage. Um, running around for their team, but I expected a bit better from them. I really don't think they delivered. No. Uh, they did lose their um, half to injury. And they also lost in terms of Parramatta stakes, Makassi Makatoa to what we're not sure whether it was a shoulder or peck injury, but uh, the big man did depart the field and come back. Yeah. So, look, it was a disappointing performance from them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that... They weren't expecting that sort of lopsided scoreline. Uh, they would have had some hopes of, you know, being able to maybe even jag a win against PNG. But, um, you know, by half time, it was. It, I mean, they were, they were probably lucky, not lucky, but I think it was a good thing the game did not really get away from them any further in the second half, and that it ended up a closer contest in that in that second forty minutes. And I know the wind. Uh, strength of the wind may have helped them to stay in the contest a little bit better, but um, yeah, probably fortunate that it didn't blow out any worse than it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into our uh, into our yeah into the previews. We'll go back to the women's Pacific Championship. So on the bye this week are Australia and I believe Fiji uh, in the six-team competition, which means the action starts on Saturday, one forty-five p.m. Uh, with the Kiwi Ferns hosting the Mate Mate. Out at Eden Park, Auckland. That's going to be a bit of a banger. Eden Park, one of the, the famous parks of four footy. Um, so the Kiwi Ferns coming off the narrow defeat to Australia, taking on the Mate Mate Tongan team. Uh, in terms of the eel representation, 60s, you mentioned it before, but Capri Payakau, she's on the interchange bench for the Kiwi Ferns. 
And then in the Mate Mate team, we've got Cassie Tawihiku starting at 5'8". Shelly Malungi used to be an eel. Amelia Murphy uh, was with us this year. She's in the back row. Foliaki was a former eel. Jade Fanua on the interchange. And Shannon Muru. Uh, So two two more active eels there. Uh, Then you had uh, another former eel there in the extended roster and Fatsafehi Hanisi. So... Eels well represented one way or the other between current and former players there. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Kelly Ferns looking to... Uh, they didn't embarrass themselves by any means against Australia in the six-point loss. They'll be looking to go one better, though, and get their campaign underway with a win here against the Mate Mate Tongans. How do you boys see this one playing out? Oh, I think the uh, Kiwi Ferns, they did particularly well, I thought, against Australia last week honestly believed it was going to be a, a bigger scoreline mm. than that. Uh, I think they'll be uh, a little bit too strong for the Tongan team. To, uh, and, and you've got to be honest with your tips with these things, and I think they'll probably win by about 20 points. Yeah, I think there's a pretty healthy win in the mix here, Quint. Do you see it the same way? And if not, who's going to be the important players for Mate Maya Tonga to make this one competitive? Um. 60 took the words right out of my mouth. I, I have a 20-point victory to New Zealand here, but um, I'm going to look at one of our, our current girls and one of our former girls in La Haz there for Tonga in Kasitoi Hiku and Tiana Panatani. Um, if, there's, um, if there's any signs of hope for Tonga in this match, you'd think that both of them as predominant runners are going to be at the forefront of everything. And they're very much going to have to rely on a, a power game through the middle third and, and um, asserting some ascendancy there so that um, the six and the seven can hopefully run right because you don't look at either of them as traditional kickers of the ball, um, but they are both very strong runners of the ball. And, you know, if they've got bodies in motion around them, they've got enough pace themselves to to um, to show and go and, 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 and go the full mile or, um, or to set up their outside players. So... Um, if there's any hope for Tonga exists within those two play within those two players and playing a certain game plan, having that unfold, um, but it's hard to see that taking place when you look at this New Zealand side. Yeah, the simple fact you've got two admittedly very talented outside backs, one more of a senior statesman now in Tiana Penatani and one a young up and coming star in Cassie Tobihiku up against just Racine McGregor as a playmaker really puts the Kiwi Ferns ahead. McGregor's one of the good organizing halves in the competition in the NRLW, and, you know, she's going to give the Kiwi Ferns a huge advantage over Mate Mate here, and it's going to be hard to see the Tongans getting into the arm wrestle by virtue of the fact that the disadvantage of having the, the kicking battle is going to be significant. So hopefully they can make it competitive, and hopefully uh, Cassie can have a chance to shine. Well, I, I just I just wanted to add there about Cassie is that in her playing in the spine, for me, that's... I'm looking to see what she does there because we've talked about her potential to play fullback, mm-hmm. and really the the fullback is another playmaker. Yeah, it's essentially. So she's fullback. now yeah. in a she's now in a playmaker role. We haven't seen her kick in general play, but we also know that she's got a huge boot on her because she kicked a uh, line dropout. Um, during the season that went over 50 metres. And um, we've seen her um, take some kickoffs as well. And um, she's so she's got, she has got a strong boot on her, um, but seeing, it's not just 
having a powerful boot that's the key to a kicking game, of course, it's it's the placement of the kick. So yeah. um, this is going to be interesting. And, and of course, um, you know, the, the placement of the kick also comes hand in hand with um, reading the game and knowing, um, you know, is there, a, is there a time other than on the last that you do want to put a kick in? Um, you know, it's you, you might go the early kick. Um, you, you might mix the kicking up in, in terms of the um, the type of um, kick that you put in the air, whether you put up the spiral torpedo, whether you, you put up a floater, whether it's just the end over end, whether there's, you're just going for the territory. Oh, well, there's a whole range there's, there's there's a nuance a, to the kick. It sort of just adds the idea of why halves get paid the big dollars, don't they? Because there is just so much. Even though rugby league is a simple game, there is just so much nuance to the position and getting your team running on time like clockwork, making the right calls under pressure. So, yeah, the big thing, I suppose, here for Cassie, being in the halves, she shouldn't be starved of the balls you sometimes see when you're the talented centre but in a team that hasn't got good halves um, on the international scene. So she'll be the you know one of the first two primary points of contact from dummy half. So hopefully she can have a good game. Um, which brings us to yes. the second game in the Women's Pacific Championship, this one taking place on Sunday, 1.45pm, back in Port Moresby, Santos National Football Stadium, with the PNG Orchids taking on the Cook Islands Moana. Uh, only one representative for the Parramatta Eels in this game, and that is, of course, Elsie Albert. Hopefully her calf gets through this one unscathed. We need her to be in tip-top shape next year, uh, but she'll be a core part of the PNG Orchids. We're going to knock over the Cook Islands. Um you know, you don't want to talk down, but probably two of the uh, smaller status teams in this competition here in the Orchids and the Moana, uh, with Australia and New Zealand obviously leading the, the sort of the title chase up top. Uh, but how do we see this one playing out, boys? Can uh, Well, who is the favourite, I suppose? And if not, can you see an upset here? Well, PNG would be the favourites, I would imagine, in this one. Um it's it's much. There's a little bit like last week where there's an element of the unknown with the with the match, and I think we saw last week in the uh, match between um, Fiji and um, Tonga, wasn't it? Fiji and Tonga in the women's. Yes. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Fiji was it or was it Fiji and uh, Fiji Samoa? Fiji Samoa. Fiji Samoa. Yeah. Fiji, yeah, Fiji Samoa. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was a really entertaining game. We were hoping for an entertaining game, and it delivered. It absolutely delivered. And I guess I'm hoping for the same with this one, that um, you've got two teams which aren't heavy on experience, um, uh, maybe more in the range of uh, players of potential, uh, players looking to establish themselves a little bit more, um, maybe a touch more experience in the p- playing together for the PNG team. Um, I'll probably tip them just on the basis of um, them having the home ground, home field advantage, baby. Yeah, or ex- uh, and maybe a little bit of extra experience. So uh, yeah, they'll get the they'll get the money for for mine. You're gonna go with Quint, uh, with Craig on this one, Quinn? Yeah, look, it's. Um... To echo your sentiments, as I feel like I've done all throughout this podcast, Craig, it, it's it's um it it's, is very much uh, a case of the unknown. But um, I, I I do see some more familiar names in the Orchid side than I do in the Cook Island side. Um, and you know, it'd be 
very unparamatter of me not to cheer on our own yeah, healthy Albert, who exactly. you'd like to see lead from the front and do well. Neither team loaded up with NRLW talent. A lot of our players looking to make a name for themselves. Uh, so a chance for them to showcase their wares and maybe earn NRLW contracts for the season moving forwards. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the Orchid's going to be too... Uh, too good at home, and I got to say, I was just looking at their logo. That's actually a cracking logo for the orchids. That's really cool. Um, I do like it. So, bring us to the male competition now in the Pacific Championship, and we start on Saturday. No surprises as part of that double header, and I do like that they're doing double headers here for each week of the competition. Uh, Saturday, four p.m. Eden Park, Auckland. We get to see the first look at the Kiwis in the international circuit this year as they host Toa Samoa. Uh, in terms of the Boys representing the Eels in this game. You've got Dylan Brown, who will start 5'8". Wirumu Greg has been named in the extended roster. Unfortunately, he's just missed out on selection, it looks like, uh, with uh, the team choosing to take Kieran Foran as the bench utility ahead of him, it looks like. Uh, and then uh, on the other side, of course, you've got Junior Barlow captaining the Tawasamoa team, Dejan Arce in the halves. Um, this one, Samoa looking to bounce back from their tough loss to Australia there. Kiwis looking to start their campaign with a bang. Uh, they're going to be in front of a what you have to imagine be a fairly parochial home ground. But we do know that uh, Tonga and Samoa are very well uh, represented in terms of fandom in New Zealand. Famously, uh, I think that uh, Tonga's had you know sort of 50-50 splits in some of the home games there, or away games that become home games for Samoa there. So hopefully the Samoans can, for Tonga, sorry, so hopefully Samoa can do the same. But again, they're going to be uh, doing it tough in the halves. Crichton and Arcee, it's not the sort of halves uh, pairing you're hoping for when you're taking on, you know, one of the world's top teams in the Kiwis. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I'd have to agree there. And um, look, it's it's going to be interesting to see that level of support for uh, Samoa over there in New Zealand. I mean, we know the Tongans get massive support over there. Um, look, I think there's probably going to be a bit too much class on the from the New Zealand perspective I think they'll get I think they'll get the job done um, Samoa are, I guess they're a national international team on the rise without question I mean that for them to get through to the final last year of the Rugby League World Cup was a tremendous achievement and um, and I but I, as you say it's just you look at the spine and you and you have to go well look the the halves there's just that edge for the yep. uh, for the kiwis yeah and they'll get the job done um you know on the back of that yeah nickel clockstar dill brown jerome hughes and i suppose the weakest link there far manu brown at dummy half up against uh suolavi far long or stephen Crichton, dejan arsi and gordon chan kam tong who was the scratch last week who was replaced by justin matamua on game day it, it is a golf in class and talent there, isn't it? And just also experience yeah. in not just high leverage NRL games, but high leverage international games. And it puts both, you know, the Kiwis and Australia as well off their spine so far ahead of the curve when it comes to these big games. Yeah, absolutely. Quint, are you brave enough to pick the upset here or do you think New Zealand do it and do it comfortably? Uh, not, not a chance am I brave enough to pick the upset. But what I do hope for is that... Um, that these games and this experience that Dejan's getting in particular for Samoa against uh, a, you know, a, a good Australian side, a good uh, New Zealand side here, um, sets him in good stead moving forward because he's playing against a different, 
caliber of player than, you know, I guess what he regularly comes up against, you know, having been in and out of the NRL team um, throughout the year. So, um, you know, hopefully this is something, an opportunity he can use it to launch pad his season moving forward. And likewise, if we call upon him, either, you know, uh, hopefully not for the house, um, but you know, maybe in other positions in the back line throughout the year um, that, you know, he, he feels well prepared and, and, um, and uses this experience um, to his advantage moving forward. I will yeah. tip the Kiwis to win, but I think it'll be closer than Samoa's loss to Australia. I think the combination of uh, Samoa having a chance to build off the loss and the Kiwis maybe coming into this game a little bit underdone with the having to wait the extra week into the international competition. Maybe they maybe they start a little bit sluggish and give the, the Samoans just a, a bit of a crack in the door to get their foot in there and make it a bit more competitive. I, I think it'll be tight in the first half. And then I think uh, New Zealand runs away with it, wins with a margin of somewhere between 15, 20 points. Okay, that is uh, reasonable. At the end of the day. Quint, how do you call it, mate? Yeah, look, it's. I, I like where you're going there, um, Forty, with um, with it being tighter and um, you know the, the factors at play with New Zealand maybe being a little bit rusty. Um, I I still see New Zealand running away with it, but I'm going to go a slightly smaller margin and and I'll go that that ten to sixteen margin mm-hmm. New Zealand. And wrapping up the action on Sunday, we have the Fiji Bati taking on the Cook Islands. I two. 4 o'clock p.m. Santos National Football Stadium in Port Moresby as part of the PNG double header there. Uh, Fiji Bati having a couple of eels, well, one we expect to be next year, Marcus Evo, and one employed, as you said, Quint, until the end of the month, essentially, in Wanga Blake. Uh, so Sevo on the wing, Blake in the centres. Uh, I suppose looking at this team, notable players. you got Jareem Buller at fullback, Sanega Taruva in the centres, uh, Brandon Wakeham, Tui Kamikamifa, uh, Tane Milne. So... Uh, a good smattering of uh, pretty good NRL talent there for the Fiji Bati and then for the Cook Islands. Uh, we covered them last week, but you got the Masters boys, Brad Takarangi, uh, David Moali, Ruan Gatakura, uh, Zane Tedavano, uh, Pride Peterson Rabati. So, yeah, not, not as many high-profile names there, and the Cook Islands certainly struggled against the Kumuls. Are they going to struggle against the Bati boys? Um, they are going to struggle. It's... <laughs> Uh, again, it's. Um, I mean, there's a there's a couple of uh, unknown names in the or lesser, lower profile names in the Fiji team, but by the same token, there's also uh, plenty of class in their lineup, and um, it'll be far too much. Pretty good back Bula, yeah. Sevo, Taruva, Blake, Ravalawa. So plenty of big units in the back line there. And, yeah, I think if they get any sort of quality ball, not even quality, any sort of like 50-50 opportunity, like even sort of spread, they can definitely punish the I2 out wide. Um, and, yeah, it's not a home field advantage for either team. Um, but I think that Fiji, the, the biggest issue for Fiji will probably be Fiji themselves. Sometimes they can get a, into a bit of a rut or a slow start. Uh, but if they get anywhere near a decent start, they will run away and win this one pretty handsomely, I think. Is that how you boys see it too? Yeah, I'll, I'm going uh, to say they they win by a similar margin to what PNG yep. won by last week. I think they get it done by about 30 points. Yep. Quint, how do you call this one, mate? Final uh, final uh, calls for the podcast. I think that back five of 
Fiji are going to run absolutely right at Port Moresby on Sunday afternoon. Um, I, if I'm one of those uh, outside backs, I'm licking my lips at the opportunity to play this weekend and you know, um, put put my name up on on um, on the six o'clock news. I think uh, highlights. Brandon Wakens probably in line to have a decent game too. He's not a you know high quality NRL half, but he is you know a sort of borderline NRL half, and that puts him in pretty good stead when it comes to these sort of competitions here. So I expect him to have a pretty good game unless he overplays his hand. But yeah, Fiji by a pretty healthy margin. And that, um, if I just quickly check the news to make sure nothing's broken in the recording time here. No, nothing there. And we go over here. I think we might be in the clear, boys. Knowing our luck, we'll have a, mm-hmm. a breaking news as we finish the recording. Uh, yeah, so that'll bring a wrap to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast, boys. As always, before we sign off, a quick shout-out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate. You know I'll be shouting them out there. Let us get the podcast out every week. And a big shout-out to you two boys for putting up with me for another episode. Thank you very much. It's always fun <laughs> to have you on yapping and yarning about footy in the Parramatta Reels. Uh, but 60s, I'll let you take us away, mate. Go, you mighty eels.